Welcome everyone to the Anomalous Press Podcast, Issue 6, Episode 4. This week we're bringing you four readings that each explore the theme of death. First up will be Lindsay Murbaum reading The Giver, then R.B. Mertz with The Day Whitney Died, At War, and finally Walking to School. If you like what you hear today, consider making a tax-deductible donation on our website, anomalouspress.org, and supporting artists just like these. Thanks, and enjoy! The Giver It starts when the dog dies, a wheezing wolfhound with two paralyzed legs. My mother wraps his body in a sheet and puts it in the hearth. Then she packs up his bed and rawhide bones and takes off with them. The house shakes when she leaves it. For days, every room smells of singed hair. Next, my leather gloves disappear. They aren't in my room or in the hall closet among the rows of shoes nestled beneath the robes and animal furs. I go down to the basement and sift through the stacks of cardboard boxes. The space is full of junk, baby blankets, broken toys, and rancid incense. One night, I wake to the sounds of furtive rummaging. I think there's a rat in the house and head downstairs with a baseball bat. I find my mother pawing through the hall closet on her hands and knees, half buried by objects that are reduced to vague shapes in the low light. She looks up at me with gleaming animal eyes and freezes. My sister ate the fruit like a red leather ball full of bloody teeth. When she was gone, the dog howled inconsolably. His lament lasted hours a day. Then he fell down the stairs and ruined his legs. We live in a house with a lopsided tower full of dusty, precious things. All kinds of flying creatures circle the tower's peak. If you sleep in the room at the very top, their shrieking will keep you up all night. I know because my mother would punish me and make me spend the night up there when I was little. Fields surround the house with grass thick as a girl's hair and flowers with petals that form tiny lips to drink the rain. There is no one and nothing for miles, just the fields and forests beyond. My mother used to make corn everything, corn tamales wrapped in corn shuck, corn chowder, cold corn salad with black beans. She planted varieties in the garden and they grew high as the garage sweet yellow, blue, a black red, and white with fat kernels. Once I asked her why she didn't grow roses or tomatoes like other mothers did. She looked at me the way she always does whenever I suggest she do something normal people do. Then she picked at a hangnail, stripping the skin in a curl, and flicked it into the air. My sister had hair like pheasant feathers. She was skinny and slightly bow-legged. It made her seem delicate, always wrapped in filmy robes with her nipples visible. She had pearls for teeth. Her laughter was tinkling bells. She takes my clothes. That's how I've come to think of it, not as a giving away, but a taking. She puts them in trash bags while I'm at school and drives with the car full of them to those places where people give away things they don't want and then they are sold to poor people or teenagers. I come home to find only the wire skeletons of closet hangers. A few days later, I see a girl at school wearing one of my t-shirts. As the house empties out, it begins to echo. The sounds of the things that circle the tower grow louder. All night they scream. I hear the whoosh of their leather wings. Once, she gets drunk and I ask her about my father. She says men aren't worth speculating about. Then she fits her entire fist into her mouth and moans. I get a tattoo of the fruit that killed my sister. It's on my hip, just below the waistline of my boy's Levi's. The lines are red, insinuating the outer form and the bejeweled cavern. 
get done by the mall with two my two gold-haired friends who were like vapid, giggling handmaids. They belong to my sister, but they follow me around now for lack of anything better to do. Someday, I'll slip off my pants in front of a lover who will ask me about it. Or maybe not. I smoke cigarettes behind the school my handmaids watch. Cigarettes are foul and satisfying. I like holding embers between my fingertips. When my sister disappeared, so did my mother. For months, maybe a year, she wandered, and I had the house and the car to myself. I took the dog with me everywhere, and he filled the entire back seat. Each day, it snowed. The flakes covered everything like dust. When she came back, she was a hag with swollen, blistered feet. I didn't know who she was. After my clothes, she takes my bed, and I have to sleep on the floor. All the other furniture is already gone. I don't know how she got it out of the house, if someone came to take it, if she burned it, or broke it into pieces. One night, watching me eat, she snatches the food from my mouth. My sister's fingernails, soft moonstone, her eyes, the color shifting in the light. She was picking flowers in the field when she disappeared. The ground opened up and she tumbled down into it. Weeks later, they found her body in the river that circles the earth and passes like a drain through the dead places, her fingertips stained purple-red. The snow. Clouds of it could billow and twist. If I stared out the window long enough, I saw in it the shapes of faces I could recognize, or not, depending on my mood. And animals, deer, a dove, once a poppy blossoming. Every afternoon, the sky turned a velvet gray-blue. The color filled the house and made the white of the walls glow. Snowplows scraped past on the narrow strip of road. When she came back, her teeth were gray, as if she'd been eating ash. The last thing she takes from me is my breath. Gasping, I tumble backwards and hit my head on the marble floor. She isn't trying to kill me, she says, but she can't tell me why she did it. There's nothing to pack up. All I have are the clothes I'm wearing. There are cruel words on my tongue like thistle. I swallow them down into my stomach where they will make me sick. She watches me go. She has cinders for eyes. The house shudders behind me. Outside, the grass ripples. A few snowflakes drift by like afterthoughts and disappear. The Day Whitney Died by R.B. Mertz. It is 7.07 .07 in Pittsburgh on a Sunday, three days after the Super Bowl. Yes, LOL, it is 2012, and I turn on the computer because I want to take the bus later today to East Liberty, and at 7.15 with coffee, I go straight to Facebook, but I don't know the other people who post in the early a.m. I scroll around the morning beginning to notice the sun and have another coffee and a toke and click over to the ugly Philly Sound website to see what the poets in Ghana are doing these days. I go back to the face bank, and Miss So-and-so-and-so, first name changed, I once heard, is posting loneliness and queer theory in the middle of the night. And on the Occupy Pittsburgh page, I get a little lost in photos of yesterday's snowy march through downtown, although I do click around here and there toward Greek myths or news or videos of art or war or home. So I stick with Facebook after practically falling asleep again with terpenoids. And for nostalgia, I just scroll around walls and timelines until I crave a cigarette and ask for the can of tobacco from Lexi. 
Then I go back to where I came from to Facebook and I'm rolling myself a cigarette when I look over at the screen, casually notice a flicker of death between links, like links to photos of Photoshop cats and one from Democracy Now! with her face on it. And I'm really glad I'm not an alcoholic, but I'm thinking of learning how to live with myself again in the early AM, like back when she made love sound so convincing, when media was a kid and everyone drove around crying hard. At War by R.B. Mertz Beyond the TV's flat fuzz, a little tenderness Between two guys in a deserted place Until it's filmed and then it's gone As our boys and girls forget everything but guns Don't ask me again what it means Why nobody can explain it Don't ask me again, please Why they're all so dead Listen to the news Shut up, listen You can hear the coffins opening Walking in the school. A night student, a PSUNK sophomore, raises his face from his desk, his drowsy head propped on Norton's anthology of English literature. His legs shake and back to sleep. Sleepy lids make my shared adjunct office a little bleaker. Deer lay murdered on the petrified highway. Indifference. My heart grows tense like when the body breaks a fever. This is a whole school of underachievers. What good is my sense of humor? I grin at Sydney, a punk still in her teens, once an all-American prom queen, if that still happens. She's wearing the face of a wife in her 40s, inhaling Salem 100s with an attitude of steel. She's 4'10", vaguely reminiscent of a Victorian barmaid, a cop-like street tough profile in sweatpants, worn every day with boots. She talks only of her men, of disappointing boyfriends and fathers, more cut off from words than a blackbird. This is the way the day goes at New Kensington, under the hoodie, the quick eyes of Zane, Afghanistan, Eleven, a replica of Heath Ledger without the makeup, silent and brooding as a humpback whale as he hands in papers about his dead mother and being addicted to pills. These necessary skins of bravado, ossified young, in between the limits of class, hours and hours go by under these fluorescents and slightly too little nonsensical monk-like twinkles of the highly educated faculty. There are no country screw-ups in the academic world. After a veggie burger in the cafeteria, I weigh a little more than I did this morning. Chicken with no head. I shuffle in my NYC hand-me-down camel Oxfords into the classroom of 24 computers and see the shaky future grow familiar in the wearied indigenous faces of these thoroughbred whites of rural places, half my age and twice my weight. We are all veterans, and each of us holds a ticket back. Well, that wraps up Issue 6, Episode 4. If you've ever thought about becoming a contributor for Anomalous, make sure to check out our submission guidelines on anomalouspress.org. Thanks, and we look forward to seeing you next week.